There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan, in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, joined by the great gangster Pete as we field your questions in another edition of Questions from the Audience. Send your questions in anytime you want, anytime you want. And they can be anything. They can be anything. They can be something like, Hey, why do you fucking suck at your job? I don't know. I may, I, I might tackle it. I don't know. Everything is welcome. Answer it. I might answer it. You got to shoot to score. T McKernan at InsideSTL.com. T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL.com. Every Sunday night, a new interview. Uh, every Wednesday, questions from the audience. And every Thursday afternoon, it's Pick 6 with me, producer Joe and G-Unit, where three guys get together and manage to pick football games inaccurately every single week. It's truly a phenomenon. All right, uh, so questions from the audience. I think, well, I don't know. It wouldn't be fair to say it's my favorite one. It's just, it's one where I can kind of flow. So as I see each time we start these things, it's kind of like, I don't know what's in the grab bag. I'll reach in and I'll find out. And I'm kind of answering them on the fly because I will either look in my email inbox or I will look on the TMA fan page, and that's where I get the questions, and then I just kind of go. So it's a riff festival. And growing up on Howard Stern and loving the hour and 20-minute segments where they would just riff uh, and improv, it's, uh, it's right up my alley. So I always look forward to it. So we'll answer your questions, and you can submit them anytime you would like via email or the TMA fan page. So with that said, Without uh, Ryan Kelly and the HomeLoanExpert.com, we have no podcast. It's just that simple. The podcast is now in its second year. Who knew that that would happen? I don't know. I don't know how long it'll go on. Maybe it'll go on forever. Maybe this is the last one. I have no idea. But I do know this, that Ryan Kelly has been on board since the very beginning, and he continues to be on board, and I'm very grateful for that. So I want to try and catch your attention when I talk about Ryan Kelly because I appreciate not only him as a person because he's just a really good guy, and his staff, which is made up of really good people. But I think a thing I want to convey to you is his work ethic and his knowledge of the industry. And I guess the thing that probably matters most to you is the fact that he can save you money. And when it gets down to it, I'm sure you're like, oh, it's great that you really like him. It's great that he works hard. It's great that he knows about the business. But why do I care about that if I'm going to pay more by going to the guy you're advertising for? It's a fair question. I wouldn't expect you to do that. Well, I'm telling you, you're going to pay less by going to the guy that I am speaking on behalf of. And furthermore, they're going to do it better than anybody else. So therefore, my question is, why wouldn't you go to Ryan Kelly? You go online at thehomeloanexpert.com and you see the two tabs, purchase, refinance. You know which one you want. Click on that. And the next thing you know, you are going into the process with the best in the business. Ryan Kelly online at thehomeloanexpert.com. The studio sponsors of the Tim McKernan Show, all along with our other wonderful sponsors, Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, our guest presenting sponsor every week here on the program. 
James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Tom Schmidt and his wonderful staff at Salt and Smoke, their catering service. They just catered our TMA watch party for that Missouri-Alabama game. Oh, my, the brisket and the ribs, so delicious. And I love those burnt-end raviolis. Holy moly. Go online at saltandsmokestl.com. Sure you think about their restaurants in Hampton, Southside, and Del Mar, the original Maloop. But I'm telling you, for catering a party, it should be an insta-click. saltandsmokestl.com. Johnny Landoff Chevrolet at Washington and Elizabeth Exit on 270 and 24-7, 365 a year at landoff.com. All right, time to reach into the grab bag. Let's see what we got. I have no idea. I see there are a bunch of questions, and I just posted today. Hey, I'm doing questions from the audience, so fire up the questions. We got a bunch of questions. What is the one sporting event that you missed that you wish you could have been at? It's a good question. It's a wonderful question. I think probably the answer for almost any St. Louisan of a certain age, and really it could be any age, would be Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. Um, and I, I suppose I have a story on that but I honestly don't have regret on it, which is weird. I, and I don't know why, I guess for sporting events, I don't really, I guess, I guess maybe if you grew up in the forties, fifties, sixties, and even seventies and eighties, I, mean, I did grow up in the eighties. Being able to watch games from your home was a lot different than what it's like now. So I don't, I don't go, Oh, I wish I was there so much as, oh, I could have been there, or in the case of Pujol's home run off of Brad Lidge in 2005, I actually was there and then left going into the bottom of the eighth inning to walk back to my hotel, which was a few blocks away from Minute Maid Park, uh, because I didn't want to see the Astros celebrate. And I truly don't regret it, but I realize people assume that I'm being dishonest about that. So in the case of Game 6 of the 2011 World Series, uh, I sold my tickets, but I had been selling my tickets, you know, throughout, uh, probably going back to other playoff series. I don't know if I, I probably didn't have tickets going back to Oh six. Um, but you know, I, I just, I, I would, uh, and I don't remember why, well, I hear, I, I actually probably do remember why for me, because I get up so early to do a show going to a game when you have to get up the next morning is, is a, is a whole thing. And I realized some people go, oh, screw you. You know, it's the world series. And I get, listen, I get it results oriented. It would have been incredible to be there. And unlike the Astros situation in 2005, where I truly just, I mean, that place was, the roof was about to go off that thing. I mean, you can recall it. I'm sure you can picture it. The place is batshit. And then pools, it's the home run and it's silent. So imagine being a Cardinal fan and you're depressed over your hundred win team about to get knocked out in game five after a hell of a season by the team that finished second in the division, like distant and they knock you out and you're on tilt. And plus the other reason why I was on tilt is Lance Berkman hit a home run. That was like, I mean, if you've ever stood at, at home plate of the of minute Maid park and I realize, you know, I'm lucky that I got to do that just because of my job. So I know a lot of people don't get a chance to do it, but you see it on TV. I remember growing up, I played at Afton athletic association and the, in the, in the, the wall in left field reminds me of Afton Athletic Association. It is so close, and it's just dumb. And the reason it's like that, I guess, is because behind left field is not like a bunch of room. It's a street, and so they have to have these shitty dimensions. But it's just stupid. And I think Berkman hit it off a carpenter, and it was like a he was hitting left-handed, and 
Carpenter threw a low and outside pitch and he just like flicked his wrist and it wound up being, you know, the lead for the Astros. I'm just like, this is so, it's like if the Cardinals were to play the Rockies in the playoffs and they got knocked out by some dumb shit kind of 16 to 12 game. I'm just like, ah, this stuff sucks. So I was on tilt over that and I left. With game six of the 2011 World Series, you know, I, I really, I mean, listen, I left in Houston because I didn't want to be around all the Astros fans going batshit because their team's going to the World Series for the first time. If I were at Bush Stadium in 2011, I would have stayed all the way until the end, um, even though I would have witnessed what I thought, anyway, the Rangers celebrating their first world championship. So I would have seen Freeze's hit. And sometimes, I'm telling you this, just did it last week, actually, and it might sound weird. I would recommend it to people, actually. It's a, it's a legal narcotic. If I'm just kind of like, I mean, YouTube is just, a, I mean, it's such a rabbit hole, but I'm just like, you know what? I'm kind of in the mood to watch the ninth inning of, of the 2011 World Series Game 6. And it just automatically puts you in a better place. And then the next thing you know, you're watching the bottom of the 10th. And then, of course, you're watching uh, and we'll see you tomorrow night. And it's just, it's it's instant offense. So that's an that's an easy one. Um, you know, other ones, that, another one that I, it's certainly, especially in St. Louis, doesn't have the same... Um, cachet, and I don't know what can, of Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. It would be wonderful if Game 6 of the 2011 World Series is somehow in second place at some point for people. I imagine if the Blues win the Stanley Cup at Enterprise Center, uh, even if it's not like some fascinating game like what you had with uh, Game 6 of the 2011 World Series, I would imagine that might be up there for people if and when that happens. But um, in 1997, when Missouri played Nebraska, which, yes, they lost, but the game itself, for so many reasons, just became like this, you know, like, were you there? And, oh, my God, you weren't there? That was just, because it just was so uncommon. I don't, I don't even know what, it would, what, what you could draw a comparison to now, because Missouri had been so terrible for so long. I think they were a 25, give or take, half-point underdog to Nebraska. Nebraska at that time, whereas they're a punchline right now, was an absolute machine. Missouri, a joke. And Missouri had started to play better, um, but still, you didn't. I mean, they still, I just told you, 25-point underdog, give or take a half point. Might have been a little more than that, actually. But either way, you're playing against this, you know, powerhouse. It was a perfect afternoon weather-wise. I think it was like November 8th, 97, give or take a day. I know it's the same day producer Joe got his ankle tat. I know those two are intertwined, just like the barbed wire on his ankle. And and U2 was playing at the Dome. And at the time, I was a huge U2 fan. I really was a U2 fan all the way up until a few years ago. And now, I, for whatever reason, I just have no interest in them. And I don't know what happened. I think it goes back to when they uh, sent the music to your iPhone when you didn't ask for it. I think that's what it was. But I, went, I saw him at Soldier Field in Chicago in 2009, and I saw him in Las Vegas at Sam Boyd Stadium a month later in Las Vegas 2009. And they were Scott Trade Center, I think. Maybe they were at the Dome uh, here within the last year. And I'm just like, eh, I'm not interested. Plus, it was like a Friday or Saturday night. And I just was not interested. But anyway, I digress. I wanted to go to the U2 concert. And so I was in St. Louis, and I was watching it on television. And it just was the perfect day weather-wise. The place was absolutely packed. It was a 2.30 game. Brent Musburger, you are looking live. And Missouri was just going blow for blow, back and forth, back and forth. You had these incredible touchdowns. You're going up against the absolute best. 
I mean, I know Nebraska and Michigan split the national championship that year. I think if they play each other, Nebraska wins by two touchdowns or more. And it just was one of those days. And it wasn't expected. So it would be the equivalent now if Alabama came to Columbia and Missouri went back and forth and both teams are playing well. That's the other thing. Both teams are playing well. And then you, of course, had, you know, the shot after Corby Jones leaps into the own zone, gets murdered on his way in there, but gets the ball over the goal line. They cut to the sidelines and Larry Smith, the coach, is in tears. I think there's a revisionist history that Larry Smith was in tears because the team gave up the flea kicker, but that's actually not what happened. He was in tears because the team had battled back to either tie it or take the lead, and he was just like, it's finally happening here after, you know, three seasons of getting our asses kicked. We're competing with the number one team in the in the country and, and going back and forth, just trading haymakers. And then you have the flea kicker, of course, north end zone, and then the overtime rolls around, and it's not even a sweat, Nebraska wins, and it's just like textbook Missouri. Rank your Mount Rushmore of miserable Missouri moments. Norfolk State, Ty Sedney, fifth down flea kicker. I don't know. Maybe you've got some others. Uh, but, but you know, but to have been at that, because I'm a big atmosphere guy, and uh, and that's why, like, an 11 o'clock kickoff just tilts me because I know the atmosphere is not going to be as good. So from that standpoint, I know that's probably an obscure one. The obvious the answer is game six and David Freeze in 2011. But one that might be a little off the beaten path would be uh, November 8th. I think it's November 8th, November 7th, 6th, 8th, 9th, 1997, Missouri, Nebraska. All right, let's go back into the grab bag. Best Missouri uniform combination that Doug hates. We have a Missouri theme today. Well, no, we don't. I just answered a Missouri question that wasn't really about Missouri. Uh, I think Doug hates the Bumblebees the most. Um, for my money, I love what they wore when they beat Kansas at the Armageddon at Arrowhead game in 2000, uh, 2011, 2007. Um, white jerseys, gold pants, black helmets, um, which I think can work with the new logo. It doesn't have to be the block M. I get the block M thing because I have a Missouri hat that's the block M. And then when I'm out of St. Louis and I'm wearing like a sit in a poker room, I remember people go, oh, you went to Michigan or, oh, you're from Michigan, you're from Detroit. I'm like, no, it's black and gold. It's Missouri. And they're like, really? That looks like Michigan. I'm like, yeah. So I get, I get where they're coming from with changing the logo. It's unfortunate that Missouri and Michigan somehow have the exact same font on an M. That what they're doing with the uniforms. And I think on the uniform thing, which I realize, you know, to like dig it, to like go behind the curtain on the satire, uh, which I don't necessarily like to do because it's better to continue to 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 play the role of the uh, satirist without explaining the satire. I think, you know, the people who listen to TMA kind of get the joke as opposed to the people who just like drop in because Bernie's in a commercial break and they're like, what are these morons talking about? Uh, I think the thing with Missouri in the uniforms is, is like you're, you're bad. You know, so focus on getting good as opposed to every Friday, like this supposed badass uniform reveal, you know, on your way to the slaughterhouse. That's, I think, the thing. I think if they were doing this in 2013 or 2007, people would would be more on board with it. But it's like, oh, you just lost to South Carolina and gave away a game. Oh, you're about to head into Tuscaloosa. And they're going to wear the exact same thing they've been wearing forever. And you're going to come down with LSU's outfits. So uh, that's the thing that I think is just kind of like, uh, you know, um, I got to tell you something, by the way, regarding uniforms, had Bill DeWitt in, would really recommend listening to that one. Um, 
I left, I left one out there. I didn't ask him about the Navy hats on the road. I didn't, I'm sure he wouldn't have gone, you know what? You're right. We should switch that back. But I didn't ask him. I still got to ask him about it. I left that one out there, especially considering that's like the second most important thing to me next to Bryce Harper this off season. Uh, all right. Oh, it looks like I might be getting held accountable. You refrain from giving your opinions when political topics come up on the show. Why do you choose to do that? Aside from the juice probably isn't worth the squeeze. Side note, I really enjoy the cat's takes on politics these days. I think he shares the opinion of 80% of America. Well, you answered the question essentially in your question, which is why do you choose to do that? Aside from the juice probably isn't worth the squeeze, but that's the answer. The juice isn't worth the squeeze. Here's, I love, and I was just reading something yesterday, as a matter of fact, that um, deep conversation is actually healthy and a source of happiness. I think it's also a source of endorphins, kind of like working out. Like you might be like sitting on your couch going, God, I don't want to work out. And then you do it. And you're like, man, I'm glad I worked out. I feel better. That's oh, because of endorphins. And I think it's either a source of happiness in some capacity for some reason or uh, endorphins. And I don't know. And then listen, I, I mean, I, I don't even have a, a degree, you know, from Missouri. So it's not like I'm some wizard in here. Um, but I mean, for me, so much of how I try to handle myself personally and professionally. And I certainly slip up plenty of times and will continue to do so, but it's the guiding light is, you know, upside versus downside juice worth the squeeze 2004 girl next door, Timothy Oliphant, Alicia Cuthbert and Doug's approach to politics is we certainly have different views and I got to tell you something. And I know Doug's view on politics. Some people go, Doug's right. Doug's right. It's like wonderful. Okay. Or some people go, Doug's wrong. Why do you let him say that? I'm like, well, why would I, who am I to police Doug's opinion? Doug's welcome to his opinion. I'd certainly be turned off if Doug like policed my opinions, you know, as I've said multiple times, but I'll continue to say it just because there's some people who just don't know it. I guess yet I don't run the radio station. So I am, I am just like, Doug or the cat or Frank or Martin or Charlie, you know, I don't own the radio station. I don't run the radio station. I am a host at the radio station. So it's not my place to police, uh, any host's opinions. I happen to disagree with some of the things that Doug thinks, but Doug is welcome to his opinion. I'm certain Doug disagrees with some of the things I think, but I will say this, Doug has been, I wouldn't necessarily say this from my standpoint politically, but as far as like just little things, like little everyday life pieces of wisdom, you know, next to like my parents, and I'm sure I can think of some other people. He just, and he doesn't even know he's like dropping knowledge. And again, it's not political and I'm not like mocking his politics. I'm just saying like everyday life wisdom or about broadcasting. He's been so right on about so many things. Uh, and I've never even told him this and I'm quite certain he's not a loyal listener of the podcast, but, uh, you know, so, so I, I, I've, I've, had, I've even had friends and it kind of irritates me. It doesn't kind of, it does irritate me. Like text me and go, why do you let Doug talk like that? I'm like, fuck you text, tweet, tweet at Doug. Like why? So, you know, and Doug's opinion lines up with a healthy amount of people in the United States at this moment. I personally disagree with it, but it's his, you know, the only time and I do this on the fan page. People go, God, you're so defensive. I'm not on an opinion. You could go on the fan page. Go, Tim fucking sucks. The show's so much better when Charlie's running point. I'd be like, God bless. That's an opinion. But if you were to say, Tim said 
that the Cardinals are going to win 100 games this year, and they didn't. What's that all about? And I go, well, I didn't say that. That would irritate me a hell of a lot more than reading Tim fucking sucks. So to try to explain it to you, it's when people pass off facts that are inaccurate. That's the only time I step in. And I would imagine if you were in my position, that if you saw somebody saying you did something or said something that you knew you didn't do or say, it would bother you. But being in the public eye, and I'm talking about like Z list of local celebrity, you have a choice. It's like, do you defend yourself and then get accused of being too defensive or do you let it stay out there and then it becomes a narrative because nobody stands in the way of it? And when it comes to ripping my ass, you can rip my ass all day long. There's plenty to rip. But when it comes to passing things off as truths that are inaccurate, that's where I get in. That's where I get involved. And so if and when Doug passes off something that he is saying is a fact and I know not to be true, that is when I get involved. Otherwise, Doug's style of discussing politics is not my style of discussing politics. Now, that doesn't mean that he's right and I'm wrong or I'm right and he's wrong. It's just not my style. Um, it's it's more forceful and um, I don't know what the right word, certainly emotional. And I love having conversations with people who are, you know, who will, you know, listen and kind of come to the table with going, yeah, you know, this is what I think, but, you know, why do you think this way? And, and th that's, that's my style of like, for example, and I know I said this last week and now it can become another running joke for those doing impressions of me, uh, but it happens to be true. I'm having lunch tomorrow. No, I'm having lunch Thursday with uh, Jack Danforth. And, it, and I always love getting together with him. It's, it's first off, it's just an honor. Uh, just because I, you know, first off, I mean, he's just, I, you hold him in high esteem. And I think most people do, uh, Republicans, Democrats. And I understand some people don't, but considering his place in history with the Clarence Thomas hearings and what just took place with uh, Justice Kavanaugh, I can't wait to get his perspective on that. And I also know because he told me this before he was even running, that he thinks and thought so much of Josh Hawley uh, that he really wanted to see him run for Senate. And personally, when I watch his television ads, I just, I am, I'm very turned off. Um, a lot of things strike me as transparent and as a voter, disappointing. And for the record, because inevitably in 2018, you immediately get called like, oh, you're a libtard or you're whatever. And I'm like, okay, just for the record, I voted for John Kasich in the Missouri primary in 2016. Um, and, uh, and I'm not real enthusiastic about voting for Claire McCaskill per se, but I try to intuitively vote for he or she who I think is going to act in what he or she thinks is the greater good based on policy and not being in the pocket of somebody or, um, or religion. So that's where I'm trying to go when I vote. And I'm not saying that that is right. I'm just saying I get, I get, I get some bad, bad reads, uh, on him. And, uh, I'm anxious to have a conversation with Senator Danforth because I know it'll be a conversation to hear why he is such a fan. Um, and this is just, this will be us having lunch. So it's not like it's going to be, and it's not like, I'm going to go running and going on the air. It's like, so Jack Danforth said this, it's understood that it's, you know, off the record, but I'm, I'm just curious about, I'm curious about that stuff. Those are the kinds of conversations I like to have. 
I love those. I'd, I'd have those conversations with anybody. People say, I didn't want to bother you. I saw, yeah, I'd, I'd have that conversation. You want to talk philosophy and lesbianism, I'm all in. Otherwise, eh, you know, I, I hate small talk. But philosophy and lesbianism, I'm 100% in. And so that's the kind of conversation I like to have. And, and David, you made reference to the cat on politics. Very true. I just said this to him two hours ago on the radio. And he's been saying it for years, and I didn't believe him up until about two years ago because I don't think it was actually the case. But I also recognize he does TV, and the guys who do TV on the radio station have to play by a different set of rules than I do. And I get that. And I think it sucks for them, but I get it. It's so antiquated as if this local news is like some, you know, holier-than-thou place when, you know, how many people under the age of 70 are watching it in the first place. But whatever. It is what it is, and I understand the game because I played the game, so I get it. But the cat used to say, I'm a moderate, I'm a moderate. I'm like, dude, you are so Republican, which is fine, but you just keep saying you're a moderate. Well, now I actually, I think he I think he looks at this now and goes, what in the hell happened? That's what I think he does, but I think he doesn't want to say that. So when he says now that I'm turned off by the whole thing, I'm watch, I think that I believe that 100%. Um so, you know, if that's, you know, you said you think that's where 80% of America is. I don't know on that. Uh, I know I used to look forward to on Sunday mornings watching Meet the Press and then uh, Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace. And now I DVR them still, but I'm certainly not as apt to watch them. Um, whereas I used to look forward to it. Like it was something like, oh, I got a couple hours and drink coffee and just watch this. I would look forward to it. Now I'm just kind of like, ah, whatever. So I hope that explains it. Um you know, if somebody asked a political question for questions from the audience, I'd ask, I'd answer it all day long. But, but yesterday, uh, the nine o'clock hour, we had a few topics like the 60 minutes interview with president Trump. And we had a poster on the TMA fan page. Who's a great guy, great guy. So I know it's not like, like I was saying to the plowhawk in the segment that, uh, you know, with, with regard to people on the fan page, I can see names and I already know where they're going to come down on, on, on the issue. Uh, and they might not even be aware of that, but, but I, I, it's like, oh, okay, here I'm, you know, I know where we're going to go and it's, you know, fine. I'm just amazed at how every single one of your opinions can line up with the Democrats or every single one of your opinions can line up with the Republicans, but whatever to each their own. Uh, the, the case with the question, uh, was, you know, when, when have you ever seen, I'm paraphrasing, you know, a reporter be that disrespectful to a sitting president. And I just went to YouTube, copied the link of Bill O'Reilly with Barack Obama from the 2014 Super Bowl, and just pasted that. I'm like, here, this, 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 this was a moment when I was watching that going, what in the hell is going on here? That this, this man is being this condescending to the president as if he's some kind of moron. Whereas if you don't like his policy, I get it. But do you really think like Barack Obama's dumb? I mean, if you, I guess maybe some people do. Uh, and so with regard to Leslie Stahl and Donald Trump, I thought, but I st- the, the thing with that one was, I don't know if she was given like 20 minutes or a half hour, or she has said since the interview, that he was filibustering, and so she was trying to keep him on track. And, you know, you've seen his campaign rallies. You know, obviously, it's it's not like they're, you know, orchestrated with, with a particular itinerary, and so that's how he speaks, which obviously is endearing to a large number of people. 
but if you're trying to do an interview and you only have a set amount of time and he's saying the same thing for the fourth time as she said he was regarding, I can't recall what topic, that, that then you interrupt. I thought the interrupting was the thing that did her a disservice in that interview, and I can understand why that rubbed people the wrong way. Now, if you think that Donald Trump was treated poorly, I'd be curious if you watched the Bill O'Reilly interview of Barack Obama and if you thought he was treated poorly. Because I, I, I don't know if I would call it poorly. It was just like O'Reilly was being condescending. And that's one of the things I said in last week's questions from the audience, this condescending thing I noticed from media outlets. Because that's what was going on from 2009 through 2017 with Barack Obama. The flip on Fox News. And it'd be like, this guy, as if he's some moron. And that's what conservatives flip on CNN right now. And they're going, this guy, like President Trump, some moron. And it just rubs people the wrong way. Now, I guess when you're playing the game from a business standpoint, that's what's going to win people over as opposed to going, here's the policy that he is now proposing. And this is why there is a lot of criticism of it. You know, that's not necessarily going to lock people in. So I guess that's the way that the game is played. But it just, like I said last week, I don't think you win people over by calling them racist or by calling them dumb. And that's, that's where I'm coming from on it. So I'm, I'm all in on talking politics. I'm happy to talk politics, but it's probably not going to be the kind of talk of politics that most people are used to in 2018. It would be uh, more, well, I see this side of it, but here's why I disagree with it. Uh, That kind of thing, which, you know, nobody, well, at least it's certainly not being played anywhere else, which tells me that that probably isn't a real good business model. Uh, Tim, is there more lesbianism in small towns due to boredom? Great question. Uh, you know, the Plowhawk was telling a story this morning on the Ryan Kelly morning after that like 20% or something of his graduating class from Canton was pregnant and couldn't attend graduation. And he goes, there's nothing else to do. So then I said, well, does that mean women turn to other women? And of course you could conversely say, do men turn to other men? And I don't have the answer. You know, I mean, St. Louis isn't New York city, but it's certainly uh, a larger city in, in comparison to Canton. So I don't know. Maybe somebody can, can share that information with me. My, my guess would be no, just because the social mores, i.e. morals, would frown upon that more so in a small town. Uh, but, you know, maybe not. Maybe not. But I haven't lived there, so I really can't speak to it. And, and the Plowhawk said he did not think that was the case. But I think it's a wonderful question. Um, I feel like I get, and I have no problem answering the question. I just feel like in a sense... Uh, I answer the question like once a month and questions in the audience and, and people want to hear the answer. I'm fine with, uh, answering it. Can you talk about this city, where we are and where you think St. Louis is headed? You speak with so many local figures and I'd like to see what you get from them. Um, Scott Ogilvie, by the time you hear this, there's a chance I will have already interviewed him, but Scott Ogilvie is my uh, guest coming up. Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale this week, Joey Vitale this week, and then Bill DeWitt last week. Um, and I'm anxious to hear what he has to say because he announced last week that he is not going to run for re-election um, of his ward, which if I'm not mistaken is the 24th ward, Dogtown, in St. Louis City. And he made the analogy that being an alder person in St. Louis is the equivalent to working at a hair salon but not having any scissors. He said, you want to help the customer, but you don't know when you're going to be able to get the goods to actually complete the task. 
And I think it's just worn them out. I also, and I'm anxious to talk with him because kind of like um, Kerber uh, has been on, albeit he was on by himself, and that was one of the most popular episodes we've done of the show. Uh, he's he's back, but with Joey Vitale this week, Scott was with us, and I, I immediately when I saw he was you know essentially stepping down, he's not running for re-election to be exact, I texted the uh, producers and I said, I'd really like to have Scott Ogilvie in because he kind of poured his heart out in his announcement that he wasn't going to run again. And I recall from when he was in, which I think was within the last nine months, that he was really frustrated by the conduct of some people in St. Louis City politics on social media. And I'm like, really? That's going on? Like, people are, like, trolling each other on social media? You know, I, but I get, you know, and you go, oh, well, look at President Trump. Like, I understand. I go, but that, you know, I mean, you know different situation and by different situation, I mean, the, the outlier of all outliers. And I, I think the exception of the rule and maybe in 2020, you'll see a bunch of candidates doing the same thing and you'll go, see Tim, you were wrong on that. And maybe I am, but it's not like that's like captured the nation and everybody's doing it, but it was like shade. And that's, what's going on, uh, on the board of aldermen. So I'm anxious to talk to him to see what really like drove him essentially to the point where he's like, I'm done. So, uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation regarding my viewpoint. Um, Art Holiday was in uh, the HomeLoanExpert.com studios yesterday and just had a really good discussion with him. You know, he's been working at KSDK since 79 and to get his perspective, having seen decades of St. Louis and he leads with where I lead, you know, when I asked him that question and it's a, it's one of those things that anytime I say it, I feel like, like it, it pisses people off, it pisses some people off. Other people go, well, of course. Um, but I just, I really believe it plays a role. I feel like it's like at the, it, it, it's at the, at the, the center of the universe of our problems. And that is the race problem. And, um, you know, and, and just because I grew up in the city and my family still lives in the city, it doesn't mean my opinion is more valuable than someone else's. I happened to have grown up in the city. I happened to have gone to grade school and high school in the city. Um, and I happened to talk to people, I suppose, who are, connected to city politics or cover city politics, whatever the case might be. But this has been my opinion going back to when I was, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old observing it. Um, you know, I remember, I remember asking, I don't know if I've ever told the story before. If I have, I have, I'm sorry. I'm just sitting here riffing, like I said, but I remember hearing growing up neighbors in my neighborhood in South city. And I mean, this is, this is, this is a long time ago. I mean, this is the 1980s saying if, if, if one of them, and sometimes it might even be an N-bomb moves in, we're going to have a for sale sign on our front yard the next day. Or my friend would say, yeah, my mom said that, you know, and I, and I'd go, why in the hell? So I guess it's one of those moments where the kid then goes and asks adults what, what that's about. And you know, the, the answer was, well, there's some people who wrongly think that if a black family moves in, it's going to destroy property value. And I'd go, you know, but, but why? Because if the family can afford the home, black, white, whatever background, then why would they not be able to take care of the home? 
Well, what's going to destroy the property value are the bigots who don't want to live next to the black family. (laughs) So that's what does it. And so it's self-inflicted wounds. And I just don't have a lot of tolerance for self-inflicted wounds, especially when it affects a large number of people. And it's like passed off like this casual, latent racism. Um, And again, it's not like it's all, it's all, you know, everybody. But I really believe that plays a role. When you, when you have resources and you're not tapping into all of your resources and you're not winning the game, then you got to look in the mirror. And so the one thing that I think is a major positive outside of the startups and some people moving here or staying here because of the startups and the tech business is that there is a recognition of a problem. And before you can start solving a problem, you have to have recognition of a problem. Now, I want to make it clear. It's not like I'm sitting here with the answer to the problem, but um, I've seen it for a very long time. And I would talk about it on the radio in the early 2000s, and I would get lit up for it. Um, and I don't, I don't really know, it, I, you know, because a lot of it was based on, you know, growing, I, I didn't get on an airplane until I was 21 years old, which I know sounds insane, but that's the truth. Um, I didn't travel west of Lawrence, Kansas until I was 22 years old. Um, and, uh, I don't think I had been to any other cities outside of like Chicago and Kansas city. And I was lucky enough to go to Seattle for the PGA championship in 98, just kind of a random outlier until I started working at KMOV. And then you start traveling with the, at the time, Rams and Cardinals and Blues and Missouri made some runs in the NCAA tournament. And you see all these other cities and you go, God, this is, what's, what's different? There are a bunch of things that are different. And you start like kind of digging into it a little bit. And, um, and so specifically I recall thinking, okay, I'm all for a new ballpark, but I wanted to see what happened in Coors Field, for example, happened in downtown St. Louis, which was the buildup of residential. And I feel like that is, it's not a chicken and egg. I feel like that has to happen before you can have, um, you know, commercial growth, real sustainable commercial growth. But if you have crime and whether it's real or not, a perception that it is unsafe to live downtown, it's going to hinder the potential residential growth. And that's just reality. And this is coming from somebody Yes, I grew up in the city, but this is this is coming from somebody who also lived on Washington Avenue, and I lived at Park Pacific, and that was about a three-year span um, of living on Washington Avenue for a couple of years in Park Pacific for a year, and I loved it. But what was going on eight, nine years ago when I was living down there, it's, it's different, and it's unfortunate. And usually cities continue to progress once the foundation is laid, and in our case, unfortunately, steps have been taken backward. And I thought Mark Montavani... Uh, it's something I had never thought about, but when then he laid it out, he's exactly right. We kind of cannibalized districts in St. Louis. It's not like there's growth, you know, whatever years you would want to say the landing was hot. I guess you could say the nineties, I guess. I don't know. Uh, well then it moved, you know, a few blocks West onto Washington and then ballpark village cannibalized Washington. Uh, so, you know, you want growth and growth is going to come with people either from outside the market moving in or from here in the market staying and in part wanting to live downtown. But I get people not wanting to. It's not like I'm chastising people that I, I think another thing is speaking of condescending, I wouldn't necessarily call it condescending, but there's this element and I'm again, for the fifth time a city native and my family still lives there and I love it. I love the city. 
Um, but there's kind of this thing with some city people like, oh, you moved, you know, to St. Louis County. Fuck you. You know, and that doesn't really, that doesn't, again, kind of like you don't win people over by calling them bigots and stupid. You don't really win people over by going, well, you sold out or why do you live out there? With all the strip malls and chain restaurants, you know, sell your own merits and, you know, as opposed to shitting on the people who've done it. Because for a lot of people, this is all they grew up in the county. They don't know anything about it. They think they think of the city and they, for whatever reason, picture boys in the hood, even though we know it's not the truth. But, you know, you, you help yourself by by talking about the merits of it. There are a lot of great things. I mean, I love my neighborhood. Love it where I grew up. Love it. It's it's like my dad always says. He grew up in South City, Thalosan, and then over uh, near St. Raphael's in South City. And now Tam Avenue. Uh, it's just a neighborhood. because you don't have that much anymore. It's a neighborhood. And most people listening to this probably don't even know what I'm talking about. And also probably don't even care. But it, it is. And, it's, and I love that element. That's why I still go back to my grade school school picnic. You know, I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think there's great value to it. Community. I really do. And St. Louis has that. Um, but it also has so many other issues. And, you know, I think, I, I really think it was an unfortunate miss for Mark Monavani not to get elected. Um, and I'm not saying Mark Monavani was going to be able to solve it, but I think it would have been a step in the right direction. I just think, and it's not necessary because Mark, Mark was the first one to say it. I think he's, I don't know how old he is, but he's in his sixties. Um, it's not, it's not a youth thing. It's a new thing. It's, it's a need for new voices leading as opposed to the establishment treading water. And I think Mark would have played a role in that in the county. And I think that would be refreshing in the city. I don't know if it's possible, but that's one of the things that I think this region needs. All right. Let's see what else we got. What do you think is the number one misconception people have about you and or the show? Um, it's a good question. Let's see. I think, I, well, I've, I've, I think there's an assumption that we all hang out together. And I think you kind of want that. I've heard Stern when he interviews people who like work together on shows or movies. And he goes, you ever talked to so-and-so he worked with in this movie? And he goes, no, you know, I mean, if I see him, yeah. And he goes, isn't that disappointing? Isn't that so weird? You shoot a movie, you work with these people day in, day out, and then you just kind of, and then you talk like you're going to see each other all the time. But in reality, that's kind of it. It'll never, it'll never be the way. And so for us on the show, because you hear us, for those of you who listen to the Ryan Kelly morning after, you know, the chemistry and playing off each other, you would just assume that we're like all hanging out together. But the reality is it's not because we don't like each other. The reality is it's just the Plowhawk has his world. Iggy has his world, whatever that might be, that underworld, I assume. Uh, Gangster Pete is new to the family. Uh, and the cat, Doug, and I have known each other for almost two decades. And we've worked together as, a, you know, the three of us, uh, you know, for this point, what, 11 plus years. Um, but it's not like we hang out. And I, I also have said that um, I think that's a good thing. I think it would be a bad thing if, like, two or three people of the six started hanging out 
and then the other three were kind of left out. I think that'd be a bad thing. I don't think that would be, and it's not, it's not like we have some kind of rule. I just think that because it's like, you never feel like anybody's ever kind of ganging up, you know? Um, and I think it's just, I think that, I think that's healthy and it's inadvertent, but I think it's healthy. So, you know, I, I mean, Doug and Kat and I, I mean, if, if we spend a combined God, I mean, all in two hours, I think I could even say an hour, but two hours all in on the phone over the course of a year, I'd be surprised. It's just, we just, we just do our thing, you know? Uh, and so if people think that we're always hanging out, it's not because we don't want to. I mean, I don't even see my, like guys I used to hang out with like constantly. It was just, just, you know, you just, especially now that I have a, a, a one-year-old, you just, it's just not what you do. Now, if we're on the road, like spring training, then you go out to dinner, you might have some drinks, whatever the case might be. But when you're in St. Louis, we just don't do it. So I don't know if that's perceived to be the way that it is, but if it is, that's a misconception regarding me. Um, you know, I don't know. I think I'd like to think, I'd like to think that I do what is the right thing when it comes to the way I operate a business. But because I realize I'm not Mr. Small Talk and, hey, how's everybody doing? Good. You know, that it would be understood if people were like, oh, he probably is a dick to work with or for uh, because I'm not what I, I don't even know what the right word would be for it. Uh, nice, I think, is actually the word. I think the word is nice, even though I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm I just, I just I'm not into that. But I, you could be somebody I don't necessarily enjoy uh, your company, but if we're having a deep conversation, I'm all in. So I think that's a that's a weird spot because, like, for my for example, my my wife, who who's going to know me better than my wife? She's like, God, it's just it's so rare because she'll hear she'll like I, like there have been plenty of times, and I feel like inevitably at some point the stories will come out where I could have made so much more money, like nuts more money, by kind of, not kind of, by, from my standpoint, flat out, uh, you know, taking what essentially would be blood money. But like, it's like, and then when I said no, it was like, really? And I'm like, it's not even a, it's not even a d decision. You know, it's not right. Now, if you want to pay me, then that's a different thing, but I'm not going to take money that would be taken from somebody else. It's just not, and I realize you're listening going, well, of course. And I go, yeah, I understand, but it's just not, it's not, you know, it's, just, I, I think I've maybe done myself a disservice by not telling all of the stories. Like even like, I remember like the cat, for example, going through whatever the hell we went through here over the last couple of years. And, and we're, we're like going back and forth on one thing. And I go, dude, there were times when we were at 920 that we had no money. And Anna Marie and I, cause Anna Marie worked there. We didn't pay ourselves. And he goes, well, I didn't know that. I go, well, yeah, but if I say that, you guys are going to go, oh my God, we're about to go bust. So I can't say that. I mean, I can, but it's not really great leadership if I start going, hey, I know you're making money here, but I'm not going to be able to pay myself because we don't have any money. I can't do that. I mean, like I said, I can, but it wouldn't be smart to do. So the goal is, is to try to 
treat people how you would want to be treated in, in more of a principal way than as opposed to, because I don't necessarily want people to go, hey, how's everything going? Because I'm like, oh, you're such a fucking phony. It's, it's exhausting. I would rather know, even though the person might not be the most gregarious person, that the person isn't going to fuck you over. That, I guess, and so I'd like to think, I th- so, so I th- and I could be wrong. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, this is meta. I'm trying to think what you think about me without knowing what that is. But I would gather people go, oh, he's a dick and therefore must be a dick to work with. But I think it's just because I'm introverted, which you wouldn't think based on the radio. And so the introversion, if that's a word, gets misconstrued as being arrogant. And uh, I always said that. I said that to Steve Savard when he was in here doing the, uh, the podcast. And I remember observing that, going, God, he's just kind of, and, and he was like, I don't really think I'm introverted. And maybe he's not. I don't know. Maybe I'm you know, it's a fucking terrible read. I have no idea. And it's not like I'm like introverted, like super shy. It's just, I'm not, I don't enjoy small talk. But I love having conversations with people, but small talk, I'm out. I just, I just don't care. I just don't care. And I know, and I know you don't care about my small talk. So I just don't want to do it. I would rather dive right in uh, to something deep. I'm all in. Find it fascinating. But, uh, you know, like Steve, so Steve's, you know, this big, good-looking dude who's been, you know, successful in his career, you know, cup of coffee in the NFL, best one broadcasting, and then people go, God, he doesn't really talk. He must think he's so cool. But in reality, he's just kind of like, you know, but he's a great guy. He's a really just nice human being, but not nice in the way that you would, like, picture, take your pick of whatever smiling, you know, person. Who that Just because that person's smiling doesn't mean they're nice, but also just because the person isn't doing small talk doesn't mean that they're like a dick, you know? So I don't know what the right term would be. Don't suffer fools. You know, don't feel the obligation to go, oh, you listened to the show? Good. Let me hear it. Let me jerk you off because you listened to the show. Thank you for listening to the show. If you act like an asshole, fuck you. You know, I'm going to say you're an asshole. Oh, I'm not going to listen now. Fine. You know, I, I, but but if you act like a dick, it's not like we're going to go, oh, no, that's fine because I could have you listen to the radio show. So that's where I, that's where I am on it, you know? And it's kind of a weird spot because I, I, I think that's what's, I think that's the case. And so I think that's a misconception, but I also wouldn't blame people for thinking it. I just know that it's not true. If that makes any sense. I, we're going very fifth level here on the whole thing. Um, all right, let me make sure that I, uh, let the audience know why we uh, exist. And, uh, and that's, uh, our sponsors and that's Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. So if you, if you buy in when I'm telling you all these things that are just kind of like, hey, here's the way that it is, uh, then I hope you would buy in on this. And it seems like every day now I'm like digging into this stuff. And I, I swear to you, I am, when I dig into it, I'm kind of going, you know what, maybe we could do this, we could do this. And it's like, you know what, if I would have been handling my money better, and it's not like I was like getting, you know, rich or something in my 20s. It's just I, I was lucky enough to be in a decent position, getting a job in St. Louis TV at 23 years old. But as opposed to going, oh, I'll set aside even 10%. It's just like, oh, I made it. I will spend it. Like a complete clown uh, and didn't know any better. And it's just embarrassing and it's dumb. And there's no other way that it's me. I blame myself. So here is what I'm saying. Don't do that and get yourself a financial advisor. And the person I am telling you about is Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. He's online at evergreenstl.com. His number is 314-889-0503. I've gotten to know Mark, and therefore it is easy for me to speak about him to you, the audience. And I am telling you this, if you could, give him a phone call and just 
just two minutes. And I am telling you, it will be worth it. I wish I could like guarantee it in some capacity. You know, it's like we do the pick six things. And certainly my thought process is honest, but I mean, I sure as hell can't guarantee a, a win and a, a football pick. But on this, I feel like I could give you a guarantee of some kind that if you talk to him, you'll be like, man, I am legitimately glad I did that. And it's not like it's like some whole big process. He enters in your numbers and then he puts you on the path to get to where you want to go. And you can just send him the numbers and he's going to take care of it. It's not like you got to go, okay, now you got to fill out 3,000 pages of paperwork. Give it a shot. You'll be happy you did. Mark Hanna at Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503 or evergreenstl.com. Let's see. Is there anything else? I think I've kind of touched on it all. I said that the, the, the the questions are good, but I'm kind of, I'd be going down kind of like the St. Louis, get a lot of these St. Louis questions. And it's great that people want to talk about it. It's kind of surprising that that's like a focal point. I'm not disparaging it um, at all. It just seems like that's, that's a theme of these quite often is St. Louis, St. Louis. And listen, it's important to me as well. Um, I don't know, man. Um, you know, in, in some capacity, I think some of the things that St. Louis is facing are outside of St. Louis's control. Uh, it's just natural that people are going to want to move to coasts, you know, and, and warmer weather, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. But at the same time, it's not like Indianapolis is sitting on the Pacific Ocean or uh, Nashville sitting on the Gulf, and they've turned it around. And so that's the thing. And it's just like, and, and here's the thing, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the startups and the news in Forbes here within the last week encouraging. I think a lot of us knew that that was going on. Um, you know, the redevelopment or the development, depending on your perspective of the Grove, an incredible positive. Uh, but, and of course the MLS news, an incredible positive. I just, I think I and maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. It's not like, you know, it's not like I know this. I'm just giving you my theories. And like I said, I like a conversation, even though I realize this is a monologue since there's one person with a microphone. But I always like people's feedback. I think a new voice leading would inspire people. And it doesn't mean it's going to be instant change. But I just think it would inspire people. And I think when you see what you see in office and the issues surrounding what you see in office and or offices, I think it makes people say nothing's changing. And if nothing's changing, it means more of the same. And then they look at cities that used to kind of be in St. Louis's rearview mirror now passing us on the left lane, and you go, oh, it's just not going to turn around. And so it becomes this lack of self-esteem with the market. And I think that's Incorrect. I think to not have, not necessarily pride, like, I mean, to be proud from a city, I, I never really kind of get that. But, okay, if one is proud from a city or not proud, so be it. What I'm saying more is we have a lot of good things here. We have a lot of great people here. Um, so many of them, unfortunately, wind up moving away from here. And there's nothing wrong with moving away from here. It's just these are great resources that we don't hold on to. And I think in order to do so, I think, and this is kind of how the foundation of the morning grind back in 2004 began, that I don't necessarily feel like young people are is invited to the table or respected at the table if they are invited as the older establishment in the market. I've, I felt that way when I think I could be considered one of the young people when I was in my early 20s and as I observe it now. And I don't think 
uh, if I'm fortunate enough to get to my 60s, that I will suddenly go, you know what, now that I'm in my 60s, I now have this view. I think I think a youthful epicenter is critical to a city's growth. I think it's a domino effect. And uh, until you have young people like excited about staying here or moving here, um, I think that's that's an obstacle to the city experiencing a resurgence that I do believe is going to take place. It's just a, just a question of when. So there it all is. Another edition of questions from the audience. What do we even cover? I don't know. I just, I'll go have to go back to the, well, let's see, sporting event that I wish I could have been at. Mizzou uniforms. You can never go wrong with that when you play the hits. And why I don't get into politics on the radio show, which I will. It's just, there's certain topics that I know we're going to lead into. Like we're going to go down a rabbit hole and it's just that it's, you know, I'm not interested in that. Uh, and then of course, city of St. Louis questions and then misconceptions. So there it is. Uh, you got it all. James Carlton makes it possible. 314-961-4800. 314-961-4800. Or online at carltoninsurance.net. That's where you can find James Carlton and the State Farm Insurance Agency. He reps out of Webster Groves, 34 North Gore Avenue, Suite 104, that is. And uh, James Carlton is going to save you money, which is very important. But his customer service is second to none. If you are sitting there going, you know what? I need to tend to this. Like, James brought up with me on a couple of things. This is the person. And I was actually meeting with somebody and they said, well, you know, you probably could save money if you went in this direction. I go, honestly, it's worth it to me. I don't care. And by the way, I'm saving money as it is with him. And the, the customer service that you get to me, that's so important. And uh, that's what he prides himself on. That's why the business continues to grow. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. Thank you to everyone for submitting their questions. And thank you to everyone who sponsors the program. Thank you to Gangster Pete for running the ones and twos. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.